0: It's Monday, October 21st, 2019, and you're listening to episode 527 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. running time for this episode is 51 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And I'm not Chad.
1: (laughs) So Dan, I'm excited. You know what I'm excited about? What? We're at 85%. That's got me excited,
0: con. too. I, I could have thought of a couple things. You know what would make me more excited? If we were at 100% so my anxiety could shut up? <laughs> I had a couple of thoughts of where you were going with that one, too, and I was wrong on both counts. Because <laughs> when Dale said, I'm not Chad, you said, you know what I'm excited about, I'm like, wow, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> and then when you said what would make me more excited, you looked at Charlie, and I'm like, what, if he stopped chewing on his rope? I mean, he's not being terribly... Bothersome this episode yet? I'm sure he'll get there. Let me take his collar off. The Kickstarter
1: is going really well out there. I would love to see it cross the hundred percent mark because the moment we cross that hundred percent mark, we're going live on Con Planner and people can start putting their games in.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about a couple of things that are going on with the Kickstarter. So it is live once again. So if you've not backed it, please get out there and consider doing so. There will be a link to it in the show notes. Let me give you your important dates once again. The Kickstarter, as I said, is live right now. The dates for the convention are Thursday, June 18th for the Social Mixer, and then Friday, June 19th, and Saturday, June 20th for the gaming part of the convention. The other date you need to know is that at around noon St. Louis time on November 15th, that is when the Kickstarter ends.
1: Yep, and... Every Monday around the same time, there is a update and it'll be on Kickstarter itself about what's been going on as well as
0: new backer rewards. That's correct. Because we know that people consume these podcasts on a somewhat of an off-filter schedule because the podcasts, they go to Patreon, then they go to the general feed, and then they people may not listen to them the split second they download them. We are trying to trickle out. The Kickstarter backer levels, so people that did not get right into the first ones that had limited numbers, like seats at a particular game or something, we're going to be trickling those out over time. So as Wayne said, keep an eye on the Kickstarter every Monday. And it's pretty consistently around noon, because that's when I'm on my lunch break at work. And we try to hit the socials with it. I know for a fact we hit Facebook and Twitter, and I think it's getting to Discord as well. It is. So if you're watching your socials, you can see it there. But yeah, we are updating every Monday. So I hope you'll be there. If you cannot be there, it's a shame. But we are looking at adding some backer reward levels that will be there for people who cannot make it.
1: So I'm really excited about my Dresden Files game that I'm going to be running there. It's Dresden Files, Fear the Con, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I've got the design for the button that I'm going to give all the players. I have my... Bob the Skull that's going to sit in the middle of the table. Uh-huh. And I've got LED candles with different colors that will be scattered around the table, lighting it up. I'm going for a whole immersion, everything going on at the table during the game.
0: Sounds like fun. I'd tell you all about what I've got planned for my game, but I don't even know what my game is going to be yet. Because the one that I'm doing is an extension of the AP. So whatever game we're playing at the time, I will pick a plot point that will be resolved at the convention by the people playing that game. But since that's still over six months off, I don't even know what game we're going to be playing. If it's still going to be Skies of Glass or it's going to be BattleTech or it's going to be something else. So I don't even know what I'm running.
2: But I am looking forward to running. It's going to be fun to see how that all ties together. Now Wayne, the convention's already passed the thirty percent threshold, and once you pass that, the statistically you, the Kickstarter is pretty much guaranteed to make it. That's like the magic number somewhere around the vicinity of thirty percent. So embrace this. This is it. You've passed the magic number. Fear the con is going to happen. Oh, I fully believe that.
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm not concerned except for the fact that I have anxiety and I will be concerned.
2: Yeah
0: because i mean it's at 85 percent. all right so yeah we know how these work we've
1: done them before you have a big jump in the beginning and you have Mm. a big jump at the end
0: and a little trickle through the middle most kickstarters work that way where there is a u shape on the kickstarter you get a bunch of people in at the front a bunch of people in at the back and then there's a relative silence in the middle and we're trying to buck that trend with the trickling of levels but it's still something i'm sure we're gonna get trapped into but I'm excited to see where it goes past even hundred percent because some of these stretch rewards in my mind are fairly big parts of the convention. And the way that we structured it is the base is the minimum of what we need to make the event happen. You know, this is what it takes to get the physical space for the convention to occur. But there is some, what I think pretty cool and important stuff that hits even at the lower stretch goals. And,
1: yeah, one good example is uh, the very first stretch goal is locking in the date and time for the next year.
0: Yeah, so, so we don't
1: we can tell you at the con what the next year's
0: date's going to be. And it's enough money we can deposit on it. So I mean th- this yes. this is yeah, so.
1: The second one is catering wing night. We've catered wing night before, we've not catered wing night before. It can go either way, but it definitely adds something to have food at an event you call wing
0: night. (laughs) We've taken the wing out of wing night. It's like taking the Christ out of Christmas. We've taken the wing out of wing night. Now it's just night. And it's night for everybody. How boring is that? No, we have Mikey Mason, so maybe it'll become Mikey night. But with no food. All right, so let's jump into our topic. This is one that I can set up a part of the story that got Wayne and I talking about this. The other part I can't talk about yet because there's an AP that hasn't been released yet. Now it should be all released by the time this goes public, but if you're on Patreon, you might be one actual play ahead or behind rather of what we're talking about. So let me give the start of the events here that triggered this, and then I'll bring this to the larger topic. So within the actual play, there is a larger overarching plot about this research project that was occurring before the nuclear war And right now they are, they being the player characters, are on their way to a location in, I think it's Alabama, to try and find somebody who knows some more about what's going on. And to get from St. Louis to Alabama, you have to cross the Mississippi River. And so they were trying to find a way across and they got stopped at a bridge. And while they were there, a girl came up to them and said, hey, a nearby town was in some trouble and et cetera, et cetera. And this happened now as of where we're at in the game two games back. One of the things that some of the players got a little bit kind of, uh, I don't know what the right word is, annoyed with, anxious with, I don't know, is it started to sniff of total side quest, that this is something that's not directly related to anything involving the main plot. There's a bridge out and there's a teenage girl there, that might as well be holding a flashing neon sign that says, GM plot this way. (laughs) Now, I mean, it was not a fixed railroad in that there were other bridges they could have crossed. They could have simply ignored her and waited for that bridge to be repaired and then crossed. There's a couple different ways that that could have played out. I wasn't forced them to do anything. But as of that moment, with the information they had, it looked like the GM is saying, well, time to pull that switch track and move you guys this direction.
1: Yeah, it wasn't, but it had the sniff test of, here's an obstacle I'm putting in front of you because you're moving too fast.
0: Yes, or for filler content, or world building, or whatever you want to call it. How it eventually works out is there is something that occurs there, and this is the part I don't want to get into because this AP may or may not be dropped. There is something that happens in there where they find out that, this is tied to the larger plot in at least a certain way, all right? But this is a common thing that you see within role-playing games. I see it all the time in television shows. I sometimes see it in books, though I don't think I see it as often in books as I do in TV, which is these complete side plots. I remember watching multiple TV shows. Let me use this as an example, Daredevil Season 3. If you've not seen it yet, mild spoiler here, not a major one. Plus, I think it's been out long enough, it's fair game. But there is an episode near the end where Karen Page, who's a secretary for, well, no, at this point, I'm sorry, she's a reporter now, yeah. but she mm-hmm. was the secretary for Matt Murdock, who was Daredevil, if you're not a comics book fan. And in the storyline that they were going after from season three, is a storyline that in the comics is called Born Again. And in the comic books, there's a plot point where Karen because of a drug addiction and because of a bunch of problems in her life, sells out Matt Murdock to Kingpin and Bullseye and ends up getting killed. That's not what happens in the TV show. They take it a different direction. But there was an episode where they are doing this really exciting, awesome plot about Daredevil, about Kingpin, about Bullseye, about investigations and lawsuits and all this crazy stuff going on. And then they shut it down for an entire episode in a season that's only, what, 10 or 12 episodes long to begin with and do nothing but tell this story about Karen Page's teen years. And the only reason I tolerated it at the time is I'm like, well, I guess they're having to explain what causes her to have this fall from grace that leads her to do these terrible things and then gives context to her death. But that's not the direction they went. That never happened. So it's like, wow, you really did just waste an episode there that I could have had watching something far more exciting than her having arguments with her dad and brother, which now have no relevance to the story whatsoever.
1: Sometimes it's really cool to see the backstory of a character, to dig into a character's you know, side story and then come back. Other times it just feels like filler. And sometimes it telegraphs something that's going to happen, like you were expecting her death, or like if a couple is ever happy at any point on a Joss Whedon show. you know one of them is about to
0: die yeah it's a given they can't be happy yeah this is also obviously fairly common in video games uh we were using as an example amongst ourselves we were talking about fallout 3 and the plot of fallout 3 is you're trying to clean up some water and save liam neeson who's your dad which is kind of a cool thing and there's a side quest in there where you get or can get caught up chasing around two individuals that style themselves after what in their universe is a comic book superhero and supervillain. The superhero being the mechanist, who is a guy that builds and controls robots and the supervillain being the antagonist, who is a woman who can use pheromones or something like that to control the behavior of insects.
1: Yep. And in the case of fallout, that means giant insects.
0: Yeah. So if you get involved in this, you follow this plot line about this man and woman who don't even know each other who are having this bizarre fight over the wasteland between a robot army and a bug army. Now, this it's it's a fun plot line. It's neat. They did some cool stuff with it. You get some cool loot drops out of it. There's a bunch of different endings to it that result in different effects. But ultimately, this has nothing to do with the plot of Fallout 3. This has nothing to do with the enclave or the water cleansing project or saving liam neeson it's got nothing to do with any of those
1: what it really does and what a lot of the things in fallout 3 did was it makes you feel like it's a big world that's happening whether you're there or not that is one of the things that kind of adds to some of this stuff like there is a wedding one point i've talked about in fallout 3 that if you show up at a certain time you can witness the
0: wedding if you don't show up at that time. It's gonna happen whether you're there or not the same thing happens in Fallout four there's a robot that's in love with a human she's the like nanny version you know mr there's mr. gutsy and Mr Handy yeah it's if you've seen anything fallout related and you've seen the robot where it's like a ball that has three arms and kind of hovers over the ground it's product variations on that robot it, the original version was a cleaning and service robot called Mr. Handy. And then they made a military variant called Mr. Gutsy. And there was a female version of it. And I don't remember what her name is. I can't remember either. But you find one of those robots that's fallen in love with a human school teacher. And you're trying to, like, she's like, keeps asking all these leading questions about whether you think that love is possible and so on (laughs) and so forth. And if you set it up and you talk the two of them into getting married, you can go back to Diamond City at the right time and you will see them in a chapel and the preacher is trying to figure out how to wed a guy to this <laughs> robot.
1: See, and that works really well in a video game, but it's a lot harder to do at a role playing game table to have your side quests be something that just makes people think the world's going on, whether they're there or not, because it they're there and it's <laughs> yeah, not.
0: It's not right. Let me back up a little bit, Wayne, because you raise a great point that I definitely want to come back to. But I want to talk about a little bit of the context of history of how this fits into role-playing games. Because the way that I have usually run my games is a way that it is my understanding at the time I was doing it was not super common. You have your long-running campaigns, that's how most people did it, was you had your long-running campaigns where you roll up your first level D&D character, and that character goes through a series of adventures that are relatively encapsulated. In fact, if you were playing it straight out of the books, you had a module for each of your level ranges, or many modules for each of your level ranges, that you went through, and one adventure to the next, apart from the presence of your character, didn't have anything in common. But the way that I've run games all the way back to the very first games that I ran was they had an underlying superplot or something that connected all of them together. And so you were following a single narrative from the start from level one to level 20. There was something that tied all these together. Now, there might be little mini chapters within that or acts to it or things like that. There might be ways you can subdivide it. But there was something from start to finish that was always going to be there. And, and if you're running a game that is set up in the former of those two, so you're running a game that follows that adventure, that episodic sort of feel, then I don't know that a side quest really even means anything. I mean, a side quest, I guess, is an optional thing to chase in the middle of a smaller plot. But because you're already dealing with such small plots to begin with, you know, you're working through a module. Okay, I guess you could have a side quest insofar as, well, instead of fighting the Fish King, they decided to go talk to so-and-so's mom for three games in a row. You know, I, I guess you could have it in that sense. Well, I would say even if you don't have a
1: big plot that you're running, but it's more of a character-driven, sandboxy kind of game, yeah. the party typically would have a goal. That goal may be to take out the bad guy that's taken over the kingdom, free the kingdom, or free someone, or become the biggest, baddest mercenary group out there. A side quest would be anything that is not towards that goal. So let's say one of the characters gets a letter from their dad, and, you know, hey, we have a problem back home. that has nothing to do with their long-term goal, but everyone rallies around the character to go on this Quest yeah, you to... know, and
0: maybe that's a better definition is it at least creates a sense of a technical irrelevance. And when I say technical irrelevance, what I mean is that if you boil the plot or the direction of the story down to its purest essence, this isn't part of it.
1: Yeah, it's and relevant so guess... for character development. It's yeah, relevant and for... it might be the best content.
0: Yeah. But it's not technically relevant to where this is supposed to go or where this has been going. And so, okay, I guess in that regard, then, yeah, even something that is more episodic in nature. I mean, for example, okay, let's take the most generic dungeon-crawly, grindy D&D game. I guess you do still have the overall plot, even if it's a metagame one, of I want to advance levels, I want to improve my gear, I have an alignment, I have to behave according to. And all of a sudden, we decide to spend an entire game talking to noblin the goblin <laughs> and that's got nothing to do with any of the above and okay maybe it doesn't stick out as much as deviating from the alien invasion that stretches from level one to level 20 but it, it is still technically irrelevant to what you were doing yeah. using a star trek episode as an
1: example yeah you have the five-year mission mm-hmm. of exploring strange new worlds seeking new civilizations. But you have one episode where you have to go back because Captain Pike is on trial. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah that exactly. is a side quest. Yeah, and you see, I prefer to use Babylon Five because it's a five-year show, Yes. and it actually has a plot through the whole thing. One episode, you have the Day of the Dead, yeah, you know, where everyone in a certain part of the station gets transported to the planet of Brakir, where they meet. A ghost from their past you know like the captain of the station met a drug-using friend in her past that you know died of an overdose and she becomes more at peace with herself and someone else meets one of the villains of the show to foreshadow their own fall from grace while someone else just has a nice affair with someone that they loved and lost but each of them brought something else to it it wasn't just, you know, that simple. Like, for example, the the captain, she was told by her drug-using friend that, oh, here's this important piece of information you're going to need to know for the main plot. So while that was a nice bunny trail for, uh, for one episode, it still held relevance to the main plot.
1: So how do you make it a trial of Captain Pike and not a, it's another episode of the holodeck breaking down?
0: I think one of the issues you have to overcome at first is the leading sense of revulsion. When you are running a game, or let's say, Wayne, you're the GM and we're your players, and you've got me amped for your plot. Okay, you've got a plot going on, and that's what I care about. This is what I want to explore. There's things I want to do with my character. There's things I want to do with the world, so on and so forth. And you pitch this, that now we need to go do a Day of the Dead thing. My immediate First issue is, I don't care. You've just spent the whole campaign up to this point selling me on the central thesis of your campaign. The characters were playing. And now suddenly in the middle of that, you've convinced me that I want steak. And now suddenly you're like, and also a slice of apple pie. And I'm like, no, I want more steak. You know, I, <laughs> you've got me tied up in this. Thing we're doing here where we're taking down the whiteboard vampires. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're finally going to make progress. Yeah. I mean, let me give you an example from television, which is when I was watching Falling Skies. It was, I think, five seasons long mm-hmm. and there was this alien invasion. Each... That show had so many side missions. Yeah, yeah. It did. And yeah, they, yeah. man, they, I wanted to kill them for it because I was enjoying the show. I, I did enjoy the show. I enjoyed it front mm-hmm. to, to finish. But They had five seasons, only 10 episodes each, which, given what they were trying to cover, 50 hours sounds like a lot of TV. It really isn't. It wasn't, especially given the amount of ground they were trying to cover. And they spent entirely too damn many episodes where I'm like, there's this whole thing going on over here. You're deciding the fate of humanity, and you want me for an entire hour to invest in the dysfunctional relationship between these two I just don't care get back to the aliens I want to see a firefight I I don't care I want to see something else here and so wait I think that's your first hurdle is how do you sell somebody on caring in Fallout the video game you know what sold me on caring about most of the side quests neurotic completionism and a desire to go check out the XP and potential loot (laughs) now in retrospect there were some I enjoyed more than others There were some that I ended up liking so much that I liked them more than the main plot. That's what I was about to say. That's one of the
1: things that did it for me was having some of them be better than what I was already
0: trying to do. And I walked away with this sense that there really was this cool, bigger world. There were all these side things going on. But Fallout 3 taught me that in a game like
1: that, if you rush to the end, you've robbed yourself of a real experience of the game. Yes. You're not experiencing the world. I think that's something you can do with a role playing game too, is make sure they know that you're rushing to the end of the story arc. You're missing out on some of the things in the
0: world around you. You know, I think one of the things you can also do is make it apparent relatively early on that there are multiple threads to pull on. Let me use the Skies of Glass game as an example. As I said in the sort of elevator pitch, right now the main thing they're trying to do is to learn more about this research project that started before the war and may still be going on all these years later. Now, that's the primary central plot, okay? That is the essential plot. But there are other things I've put out there that you guys have taken an interest in or have crossed your paths, okay? For example, you guys know that there are other survivors from the space station you were on that are trying to cash in on a bounty on your head which make it themselves out of their own death sentence. Yeah, I've been waiting for them to show up again. You guys know that the National Army has a technological device that you guys want to get a hold of again. You guys know that you have NPCs written into your background, particularly those of you that brought back characters from the first leg of the campaign, that are still out there floating around. And I think one of the things that I screwed up at the start of that plot point And I feel okay about how it ended because I think it played out well. And at the end, there was a planned tie-in back to the main plot. But I think one of the things I screwed up was I should have leveraged something you guys already cared about. I I forced you guys to care by virtue of having somebody assail you with the big yellow exclamation point. We showed up at the bridge and it was basically under construction. Yeah, it was really ham-fisted and I totally own that. And it was a bad move on my part. When there are things that I could have tossed at you, I could have had something like, for example, there's this group of NPCs that you guys have started calling the zoo. I could have real easily, because of how easy they are to visually distinguish, I could have real easily had when you guys were at the bridge, you strike up a conversation with somebody and find out a here for two unknown number of the zoos hanging out in that town. And boom, right there, you guys have your buy and you have your reason to care. And I could still develop all this side plot because the side plot is not getting that person. But that person could be in that town where all this unrelated side plot's occurring. So you get to see that world building. You get to experience all this other stuff. But you knew why you went there. I didn't throw it in your face. It felt more organic unless the bridge is out. You have to go north, which is about how it played (laughs) out. Once again, I totally own that. If you've missed an episode where we've said this, fear the boot is not this monument to how wonderful we are. It is a monument to our many failures.
1: Yeah, I think that is a big thing. Like when I was describing, you know, ways to have some of these, I kept throwing out the ideas of a you know, a father calling or an uncle or like a relative out there. That is something, Being pulling into people's backstories or something they care about is a great way to introduce one of these side stories.
0: Yeah, I know what it is. And I, what I'm trying to think through now is, do you guys think that there's a way to make these side stories compelling from the outset? Because I feel it's absolutely possible to make even a hard right-turn side story compelling in its execution. But do you think there's a way to make it compelling from the outset That doesn't involve drawing on something that you know they've already told you that they care about. Like having somebody's father call. I mean, do you think there's a way to do something like the Mechanist and the Antagonizer, which is totally unrelated to everything you have encountered thus far, and yet you still care about it from the outset? I think one way to do that, look around your table. Who's the player that's a big
1: influencer on the others? Now find something you can get them to bite their teeth into, and they're gonna convince the others to go down that trail. Give me an example. So Chad is one someone in this game that directs people. Yes. So if you found something that you knew would pull Chad that's not reaching back to his backstory. Yeah. So what has Chad's character been interested in? He has a GC bird. He's been interested in fathers and children and stories like that. Anything like that that you can kind of tie in that's not part of his backstory, but what has he shown interest in during the course of the game to give him a hook? And then he's trying to convince the other players to go do okay, it. Okay,
0: let's riff with that. So I'm thinking this through. All right, so, okay, no, because I can't use blue because blue is his bird. If right. I use blue, I'm back to defeating my own points. So I'm, ta- I'm playing on something I already know he cares about. Because I I did have an idea right there where I could have said, well, he still has the packaging that Blue came in, because Blue's a product. And so he has the packaging that Blue came in. He knows who manufactured Blue. It's possible that one of their research facilities or sales outlets or something could have been in that town, and you guys go there and then discover the larger plot unfolding. But that's still, because that defeats my own thing there, if I'm still drawing on his... Things I, he's already established. So, he's, well, let's look back on when you actually did, when we went to Chicago. You made
1: Chad care about, I can't remember the character's name, Gil Jr.'s grandfather. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the doctor. And suddenly that became our mission because he brought all the rest of us on board. We're going to take part in the carnival so we can s- save the doctor. Yeah, and you guys ended up yeah going through that whole murder arena thing. Yep, that was an entirely could be entirely considered a side plot that you just added main story into as well because you found something that he cared about and got him on board with doing that uh when i go back to my dresden games an npc that you introduced was a character named jillian
0: the bridge jumper the bridge jumper
1: that npc i brought in things about her right it triggered beth's Round up the lost sheep personality yeah. aspect. Lost, true. Same thing with Pat's character. Pat was, oh, she loves to cook, so I'll buy her a restaurant. And side quests grew out of this NPC because they sh- were interested in it. It wasn't something in any of their backstories. It was just introduced. The person's jumping off a bridge. They rescued them. And now they find out there's backstory to that person and they care.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that draws another distinction, which is there is a difference between noting what they have stated they care about in the game versus what you know they care about in the metagame. Yes. For example, let's take best role in that. Okay, so the story behind The Bridge Jumper was I played in Wayne's Dresden game early-ish on. It wasn't right at the start, but it was relatively early on, and I didn't get Dresden, and I was playing this character who was really more based on a dragon from journey to the West and it it, whatever, it, it didn't work out, but she was the river dragon of the Mississippi river. Cause the whole thing takes place in around St. Louis. So that was her thing she was the governing river dragon of the Mississippi river, which if you're into Chinese mythology, makes a whole lot more sense than it does to, I suppose to the typical American, but There was a jumper. There was a girl that was in the process of attempting to commit suicide that was an NPC that I had created that was jumping off one of the bridges. But because my character has complete control of the Mississippi River, instead of her dying, the current simply just drew her to land, and the physical embodiment of my character was standing there. And Because she doesn't totally get human emotions and interactions and such. She being my character, I was playing a female, not the NPC. I don't remember what she wanted her for. But she, what wanted- she
1: wanted her for was she particularly Pat's character was a scion of power and she did not like Pat's sponsor. And she was trying to get Pat's character to here's a new female that you should be
0: with instead oh, of. Oh, that's your right. He was trying to he was trying she was trying to matchmake. Yeah. That's right. She was matchmaking. I, I knew there was more to it. And then it was also, I think, somebody told her that she looked too out of place because she was just kind of living along the riverbank in this, like, row house. And it, it, she was just so out of context that it, having this adopted daughter gave her better appearances and such. And, yeah, she was trying to match Pat's character. Yeah, that character then ended up persisting. I mean, it's, I think the character's still there. And I haven't yeah. played that game in years. And that character is still there. But the point is that there was a metagame game distinction there. That character coming in, I had told you I would care about that character because it was part of my backstory. But Beth caring about that character, that's a metagame. Yep. There is nothing in Beth's character that says she would give two craps about a suicidal teenager. But Beth herself, immediately all the mommy kicks in, Yep. and she latched on to that character. And so it was a metagame motivation. It was not something her character cared about. It was something that the... the I knew being
1: parents that either Beth or Pat, in a game I'm running, I can meta-motivate their characters, even if their characters wouldn't care about it. Yeah. If I put a child in there asking for help, they're going down that path. Yeah. And it's just like people know how they play on my buttons. I... I like animals. I'm gonna to come to a dog's rescue in a game.
0: Yeah well, I, regardless of my character. I think you've got to be a little bit careful though, because you don't want to get too ham fisted. Yeah, and you don't want to do it all the time either. Because sure. yeah, if if you know if I decide, well I know Wayne at the metal level cares about animals. So it's like, well, you can keep going this way or you can go to Sideplotsville. And by the way, there's somebody in side Plotsville holding a Bowie knife to a dog's throat right this moment. <laughs> I mean, it, it gets to be a little ham-fisted, but I, I think nonetheless there is a good idea in there, right. I just think you have to be careful how you execute it and accept that as with everything, look, a side plot is a side plot. It's optional.
2: Now, you said, you know, to go to one of the influencers and find something that they like. I see. I would actually go the exact opposite. I'd find something for the person of the group who's the quietest since they contribute the least... During the game, if you find something that interests them, all of a sudden they'll perk up, and everyone at the table is gonna be like, "Okay, we're going." The, you know, the quiet person's suddenly contributing. A Good example of this is in the Kingmaker campaign for Pathfinder. The end of Adventure One in the, in that campaign, you get. A territory of land where you become rulers of that land and I had it set up so that way a few others were at the same time and one of the players one of the quiet ones at the table was you know trying to get the attention of someone from one of the neighboring kingdoms you know tried to you know start a romantic relationship and I made a note of that then and I held on to that and so later, whenever I needed them to just do something else, you know, like to go off on a little side quest, well, oh, they just get a note from this person. Wait, are we about to do something for Rob's character? Because the you know, like, oh, we're about to do that. Oh, OK. Everyone at the table just instantly jumped in on that because it was something that's uh, that interests that that player. Yeah, that's
1: definitely a know your table thing. Yeah, because in other cases, I could see that one. This is something the quiet player is suddenly interested in. But the loud player is overwhelming them and they're not getting, they're not convincing the group. I've seen
0: it go both ways. And this is where I think maybe you have to get the tastemaker or the influencer involved, only insofar as saying, hey, I need your help because I really want to engage so and so, who's the quiet player, but I need someone boisterous to make sure the party plays along. Because otherwise, this person's going to get overshadowed. Because I've seen it both ways. I've seen the quiet player finally latch onto something, and the group's respectful of that. And I've seen the quiet player latch on to something because they're so quiet. And the group is either jerks, or maybe not willfully jerks. They're just boisterous and don't notice. And they just pave over that. And they just keep on going. And it gets painful for all parties involved. And I think there's nothing
1: wrong with sitting down with your players before the game session and just tell them hey you know i have something for this session it may look like we're going down a side tangent if you follow it cuz you don't have to follow it but trust
0: me holiday episodes i mean yeah we've yeah. done these yeah. in some of our campaigns i think the one you guys have in mind right now is a totally unrelated game right but we have done holiday episodes within our campaigns where everyone sits down and you know up front, this is the Christmas episode, yeah. and it may or may not even be part of the real world. This might be a what-if of We're Saving Santa Claus, or maybe it is it is totally real world. It just so happens it occurs during Christmas, or I, I don't know what. Febtober celebration. But... <laughs> I think part of the reason that works is because the people know sitting down what they're buying into. Exactly. They're not being told what you care about is on pause. They were told up front, hey, this is what we're doing. And so that's what they come already theoretically caring about is they come there ready to jump off of what they've been doing and to jump onto something else for a little bit.
1: If you've been running a game for a while and your players are bought in and they're excited about what's going on you've developed a level of trust with them. They trust that you're telling a story that they're going to enjoy. You can use that trust to just go to them and actually have the conversation if you think this is going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, you know, another thing I could have done in that game is I think a game master can look at plot threads that are just there but have not yet to this point really been, how do I put this? Explored? Yeah, and defined, I think is what I was going to say. The example I'm going to use here is in the AP. There's a set of mechanical components you guys were trying to get, and you talked to a guy in Cape Girardeau about them, and he said he couldn't get them for you, but he knew that there was a mechanic stockpile in Linden, Tennessee. So if you guys were headed that way anyway, you could make a side trip there to pick some things mm-hmm. up. All right, now I've defined nothing about this. I'd find nothing about what's going on in Tennessee because Tennessee does have its own side plot. I've defined nothing about what this mechanic shop is like, et cetera, et cetera. This is completely undefined apart from the players have expressed an interest and someone pointed them in the the direction of where they will probably find it. Instead of having that teenage girl with the blinking neon sign of side plot this way, another thing I could have done is Someone in town could have said, yeah, I saw a uh, caravan. Last one to come through here before we had to shut the bridge down was from Linden. Looked like they had a lot of mechanical stuff they were going to try to sell up north. And last I saw them, they were pulling into that town just uh, right over here. And so now the players feel a little more self-motivated. They go there looking for that caravan to buy the whatchamajers. I don't remember what was you guys were after. But they are going to this caravan now of their own accord. Even if I dangled it in front of them, at least it doesn't feel as forced. It doesn't feel as entrapping.
1: We even had that happen earlier in the campaign. Chad needed new wheels for his bike.
2: And
0: we went on a side quest to get wheels for the bike. And then all kinds of crap came out of
2: that and somebody got killed and... Please tell me you're talking about a motorcycle and not a. Uh, yes, like it a, was a motorcycle. Yes. Okay, because you know some people dying over you, you know like a little pedal bike. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> no, that, Chad's character he's he's very very
0: enthusiastic about Huffy.
2: Huffy because it huffed and puffed and blew a house down, or because no, it's, no, Huffy's, no not, Huffy's a brand of bike. Huffy's, yeah, I know yeah, was, I was, that bike. was that was yeah. the other half. That was of just that.
0: the first thing that came to mind was the it was Huffy or mm-hmm. Schwinn.
1: Well, one of the things that you
2: did with this
1: what flight we're calling flight. a side mission. Is when it was all said and done, we got something big that is going to impact our main storyline. Yes. We had no idea going into it that we were going to get something that is a major thing for our main storyline, but it ended up weaving into it and it weaved into it in a way that made sense and we would have never run into it if we hadn't gone through the side plot.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's one of the things that I, I do feel good about is the execution of it. Where I think I screwed up is in the setup of it. That the setup was so raw. Yeah, you know, And in the execution, I think tying it back to the main plot is one way of making it work. Yeah, I don't think you have to do that. I don't think so either.
1: If the players chose to go down this path, it doesn't have to tie in.
0: If the players weren't necessarily on board, yeah. I think you probably should have to Yeah, in. I think the main things that I would look for in terms of execution is the same sort of things that I would look for in the overarching plot. Is this something the players care about? Does it tell a compelling story? Do they seem engaged with it? Is this something that in the marketplace of ideas is flying off the shelves, or is it still stuck there and nobody cares? You know, I think I would look at a lot of the same things, because I could think, Let's we've been using Fallout as an example, I'll go to Fallout 4. Some of the DLC tells really interesting stories, and some of them tie into the main plot, and some of them don't. The entire one about, I think it's just called The Mechanist, which is a sort of a a revival of The Mechanist character. It's a different person, but it's the same persona re-popping up in the world. And I really love the plot for that. I thought it was an outstanding plot. It doesn't, I mean, yeah, there's a few little things that kind of nod at the main plot involving the Institute and such. But it's not a hardcore push back to the main plot yeah i'll give you an example of one that's not a a tie
1: back to the main plot in any way the last flight of the is the uss constitution
0: oh yeah the robots that are trying to move the tall ship across the city by blowing it up when you finish you realize that entire
1: storyline was pointless yes (laughs) it doesn't go to anything doesn't advance the plot in any way but you get a really cool gun out of it.
0: Yeah. And it was a lot of fun to go down the path. That's yes, exactly. I think that's something else you've got to look at is understand what is it the players are getting out of this or what is it they want to get out of this? Is it something to help them in the main plot? Is it a cool piece of gear? Is it just a fun little distraction? Because what makes this a little bit rough is a lot of times you can establish the payoff people want in the main game at session zero. And some of that may apply to your side plot, some of it may not. If you sat me down to a Fallout game, asked me right at the outset of it, does your character care about helping a random group of robots get a 17th or 18th century tall ship across the city using unstable rocket thrusters? (laughs) I don't know, I'd even have an answer for you. (laughs) That sure as shit was not on my mind when I was making my character. (laughs) That wasn't on my mind when I was looking at the perk tree. But, you know, was that payoff there? Well, yeah, because I had fun with it. And, well, I guess here's another big one. Guess what I also had? The ability to walk away. Yeah. (laughs) There was nothing trapping me there. If I was bored with that, you can walk off. Same thing with that entire Mechanist DLC. You can quit at almost any time you want. I mean, yeah, there are a few times you might be stuck in a particular, we'll call them a dungeon or something like that, or a locale. But through 90 some odd percent of the runtime of that thing, anytime you want, you can turn around and walk out of that location and never come back.
1: In the skies of glass situation, for the example, we couldn't just wait and do nothing because there was a threat, but we could have got back in, went to another bridge. Yes. We could have just driven away. And we all as players knew that. It wasn't what we were, what we ended up doing, but well, it's I, on the table
0: as an option. And once you were there up until a certain point that I won't give because that is in the unreleased AP. But up until a certain point, you could have walked away Mm -hmm. from the town. You could have just walked away and let whatever's going to happen there happen for good or ill and not Mm -hmm. been involved in it. You know, Wayne, let's go back to your, something you said earlier. You know, I think one of the tricks you can use to get people caring about a side plot is create buyer's remorse from the first one they skip. And I'm going to tie this back Mm -hmm. to what you were talking about, about the living world with the wedding that happens, whether you're there or not. So let's... Take this side plot, okay, and I'll take it as it was pitched in the AP that's been released. You're told that there's a town where the town exists in about more or less two factions, and one of them is preying upon the other, and the other is hoping for somebody to come in and sort of save the day and free them from these oppressive individuals. Now, let's say you guys chose not to get involved in that. Let's say you just chose to find another way across the river. Go to another bridge fell a bunch of trees, pull the Oregon Trail thing, and try and just ford the river. I mean, you had other options. Let's say you had just taken that. I could have had something pop up later where you guys meet an NPC or two who maybe even becomes a major part of the game who is telling you tons of story about what happened there and driven by the way it turned out. You know, you guys end up running into somebody who hates you now because of the fact that you didn't help them and they just watched their whole town die and they suddenly now become a major villain at some point in the game. Or, I don't know, there's a couple approaches you could take, but you could have these things pop up again. Or you guys, when you go back that way at some point in the campaign, which you almost certainly will. Someone else came in, rescued, and ended up with the Iron Man armor instead of us. Yes, exactly, and that's not how that turned out. But something like that, that you see some other NPC reap the rewards, that now some other at this town won't help you anymore. Or maybe it's not just a spanking to you. Maybe it's a boon to somebody else. So you go yep. back there, and now somebody else is like, hey, we went in here, freed them up, and now they've got this huge trade operation going for us, and we've got all this wonderful stuff going on. Or I could be a real dick, because as much as you guys hate the zoo, I could have a zoo member be like, well, since you guys passed it up, we freed the town, and now they work for us this is our new base of operations thank
2: you yeah, that's actually the way i was actually going to say you know, to get the players to care is to basically get make petty. the side <laughs> well, well make the side tra- the side quest the B plot so, you know, have them be reoccurring villains or rivals or something else along those lines. You know, something along the lines of, like, Ellen's parents from Order of the Stick, or his family relations. Yeah, You know, he throughout the Order of the Stick comic, Ellen's family keeps popping up again and again in the form of the alternate adventuring party that's the evil and opposite.
0: Yeah, and obviously they also don't have, I mean, we've been using examples where they're villains. They could even be good guys, and your choice to walk away is just something that complicates their view of the world or the relationship with you you know, or something like that. But
1: I definitely like the idea, if you want buyer's remorse, to let them see what they could have had but they don't get. Yes. I think that is more effective. Yeah. It's kind of like the carrot that you dangled and they didn't get instead of the stick, I think it's more effective. So
2: something along the lines of, like, the alternate adventuring party, just equally good, and, you know, like, after some uh, adventure that they passed up, oh, well, I I now have the sort of justice that you didn't get. Uh Ha-ha!
1: Exactly. You never never guess what we got back in that down.
0: Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, this was one that Fallout New Vegas did quite a few times, Where if you ignored a plot point, you would come back and either see the ruins that were created, a ruination that was created by your failure to get involved, or you would see somebody else living high on the hog because of what you failed to take. Yeah. And so, yeah, they did that a lot in New Vegas. I don't know why you come back to Fallout. so Because Fallout's an incredible series. Well, and it's also, I think it's useful for this because it so heavily deals with subplots. I mean, it's a game that runs so heavily on subplots.
2: And you can basically just play the game of subplots. You can ignore the main storyline. Well, quite literally as of Fallout 4, because I
0: switched to what is it called? The Radiant Adventure thing that Skyrim uses. Yeah. Where you you can play a literal infinite number of missions in that game because they will keep generating themselves. Now, they have only a finite diversity to them. But nonetheless, (laughs) crap will keep happening in that game even if you choose to do nothing about it. Cool, I think this, we're going to wrap this one up. A couple things. Once again, if you're not listening to the actual play and want to hear what we're doing, we've got Skies of Glass out there, and also Chris Hussey is bringing back Young and Holt. There are going to be new episodes of Young and Holt dropping, so you can check that out at ap.feartheboot.com. No W's, just ap.feartheboot.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And still got the Patreon out there. we got a negative episode coming up where I'm going to be doing a crossover with get this, Brodor does a relationship advice podcast. Oh dear, yeah, talk about going to the lion for instructions on the lamb. It is like my
1: mind is broken. I've listened to it this shouldn't work and it does.
0: Yes, it is raw
1: and raunchy and wrong and about as deep as you can possibly get with yeah. the
0: conversation. And so we're going to be doing a crossover that's a negative episode between Fear the Boot and Who Wears the Pants. I'll be Brodor and his co-host. So that's going to be on Patreon, patreon.com slash Fear the Boot. And last but certainly not least, the Kickstarter for Fear the Con is still out there. Be sure to keep up with that link. If you don't see a reward level you like yet, keep an eye on it every Monday because we are adding new ones. Or join the Facebook group and make a suggestion. Yeah, if you've got a suggestion, you're like, man, I'd love to get in on this, but I don't see blah, talk to us. You know, we'd love to help you out and love to have you help us out which helps you out, because that means the con exists, and it's all very confusing. But, as always, thank you for tuning in, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2019. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com feartheboot.